Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. This episode is sponsored by Try Vegan, a vegan meal home delivery service that is nutritious and delicious and makes your life easier. Based out of New Jersey, they deliver throughout the Northeast. Check out more details on their website, tryveganmealprep.com. And you can get 25% off your first order with the promo code LITYOGA. So go vegan. Good movement and welcome to Redefining Yoga, a lit yoga podcast, which is designed to investigate all aspects of the modern evolution of yoga from my background as a physical therapist and lover of movement. My mission is to help everyone find freedom through safer and smarter movement patterns. So together we can be uplifted, benefiting all beings. Today is Wednesday Q&A. You ask the questions and we answer. We as in me and KB, Kristen Williams, physical therapist, Lit Senior Teacher Extraordinaire. Welcome, Kristen. Hey, thank you, Laura. Hey, everybody. Hey, everybody. Let's launch right in. First question is Vinyasa Flow Yoga. On the latest podcast, which will probably be a couple weeks back, uh, you and KW, Kristen Williams, spoke of lower ribs as it relates to the position of the scapula. Can you elaborate? Lower ribs as it relates to the position of the scapula. Well, the lower ribs... The lower, lower ribs are floating ribs in the front. So that means they don't, they connect to the spine, but they don't connect to the sternum. So I'm, what I'm thinking is if, if the lower ribs are pushed forward, say that like your anterior tilted pelvis, you're just flaring in the ribs, the scapula will be kind of locked into a place because you've, you've extended your thoracic spine, so to speak, even though it's not, it's more like a passive extension. And then the scapula might be locked into place there. Conversely, if your lower ribs, if you've pushed, you've done the opposite and you're rounding forward and your lower ribs are doming, more flexing, the scapula will slide along the ribs because the, the, the scapula and the rib cage, the thorax, have a concave convex relationship. So what the rib cage does, what the thorax does, the scapula is in, is, you know, has to respond because of that. So you move the thorax and the scapula responds to it. So I think that might be what you're meaning in, in terms of a standing postural position, how you start either in that flexed thoracic spine where you're rounded, rounded shoulders and the scapula are protracted, meaning they've been moving away from the spine, the center of the spine, or conversely, if you've kind of pushed the rib cage out, 
they they won't necessarily slide in and adduction, but they'll be more um, maybe statically placed on the rib cage. And so we want just a kind of neutral experience of it where we're in thoracic, where we're in full spinal neutral, which is not really flexing or extending, but um, neutral, right? We, we haven't closed off the, the relationship of one vertebra to, to the other. We have that natural space in there. That's what neutral means is where you have the most amount of contact from one joint to another. And that there's an evenness there. So think about if you round the rib cage, you've changed that relationship of the vertebra one way or another. That's what I would say. Yeah, I would definitely agree. Um, we can tell a lot about the location of the scapula by the angle or position of the ribs. And to your point, I mean, the, the ribs the, the ribs need to move when we move our shoulders. Uh, we, we don't want to completely close off the front ribs, but a lot of people will tend to over flare, particularly if they're hypermobile in the shoulders. And so we, we can do a lot for our shoulder and our scapula by moving in the ribs. So let's say if we're over flaring in the front body, knit the front ribs in and the scapula will respond in kind. And so will the shoulder. But we don't want to overdo that to where some people will take it so far that they try not to let any movement happen at the front. So then they're actually impinging because they need to come up. Those lower ribs need to come a bit forward to get the shoulder blade up, the scapula to allow it to move and the shoulder up. So there is a, there's a marriage between the two with movement of the scapula. Um, the scapula articulates on the upper ribs. So it's not articulating on those lower ribs, but because they're visible to the eye, we can look at them and it'll tell us a lot about what's happening above because the rib cage moves as one. Um, so if we're seeing too much or not enough in those lower ribs, a lot of times to the observing eye, it can tell you what's going on at the scapula and then you can make your adjustments there. So maybe that's also something to think about when it's talking about lower ribs and scapula. Yes. And, and like you said, they need to move. What we don't want to see is them moving as a compensatory strategy for lack of good shoulder flexion or something like that. And that can just become a habit. Somebody's really restricted in their fascial planes, like especially in the, in the latissimus dorsi or something, they can get just in the habit. You lift your arms up in shoulder flexion and you just let the ribs push forward because that minimizes that pull on the lats. And then that becomes your, your go-to, your default motor pattern. And that will, you know, it, 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 Affects up and down the chain because we want we want the shoulder flexion to happen because the ribs are just adaptable. They're coming along with it. They're lifting, like she was saying, and there's some slight elevation. And you you just don't want that push forward to get the upper ranges of shoulder flexion, which we see a lot. And I think things like swan diving and all that really encourage it. And it again, you don't want it rigid. But you want it firm, but but malleable to to movement and to breath. Yeah, that's a really good point. All right, um, Alicia asked the difference between tightness in the QL lats and obliques. What's the major difference? Well, there's definitely they're very different um, origin and insertion for these these 
sets of muscles. However, we see they have a similar, because of their location and their action is very similar. So it's not uncommon to see tight lats combined with tight QL, combined with tight obliques. Um, so, you know, you just have to think of the muscle action as to what muscle is tight. Is That's a very simplified way. But, you know, if someone is lacking, just like we were talking about the last question, if they're lacking in their shoulder flexion and abduction, because the latissimus is the muscle of those three that comes up and attaches to the humerus, that's where we're going to look first. However, you can also be limited in your QL because the QL comes from the crest of the pelvis up to those lower ribs and the spine. You need to be able to extend there with shoulder flexion and abduction as well. So there could be tightness. There, there, could, there could be tightness in your obliques, which is limiting that. So a lot of times we're looking, I think, if someone's limited in lateral flexion of the spine, my first place to look would be the QL over the oblique or the lat. And if they're uh, located limited in rotation of the lumbar spine and side bending, then I might start looking oblique stiffness, but in tightness. So that's kind of my way of differentiating is looking at what muscle action is limited most because they all do sort of work together in many ways. How about you? How's that sound? Yeah, I would say the same thing. I would just look at them uh, globally. They all attach to ilium and to the rib cage. So they're going to impact your pelvis and, and your rib cage and your spine. So it's like you said, then you look at the action. Obliques are going to be rotate, rotating you. They also contribute to some spinal flexion as well. But uh, really, yeah, if there's limitation in the rotation, I would look first at the obliques, like you said. Of course, if the QL is restricted, one side of it could impact your rotation to the opposite side. Uh, so they are, there is, that's where there are, there's a lot of uh, connections. And then, you know, the, 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 the lats, like you just said, I mean, they're, it's, it's impacting the shoulder as well as the pelvis. And it is, it's so expansive that it is one of the first things I, I almost, I don't want to say I don't really think about actively stretching the lats. I just think about where, when we do so much shoulder range of motion with a neutral pelvis, we're getting that. And we, and when we do weight bearing, like in down dog, we're getting that. Whereas the QL can be a lot trickier to, um, to not just to, not to isolate, but kind of to isolate, you know, so that pure side bending on in one way is a great way of getting the QL, um, mobilizing the ribs and doing some of the wiggles that we do. You're kind of getting QL and lats, especially if you reach your arms more forward and shoulder flexion. So I think there is a lot of intersection, but I think, again, it goes back to movement. Like, what is the, where is the movement restricted? And if you're just like globally tight, maybe all of them are tight. So I wouldn't, you know, we always talk about it's great to know muscles. It's great to know their attachments because that informs like position and all that. But at the end of the day, we're really more concerned about function and movement. And so it's like, even if you don't really know exactly what's tight, just work on being able to move freely in all these different ways inside, you know, the lateral, the side bending, lateral flexion, in rotation, in flexion, extension. And you're probably going to hit all those areas. 
Okay. I, I am Miji Delaney Ask, what are the best three to five stretches or movements to do the first thing in the morning after you pee, of course. <laughs> All right. I'd love to hear yours and then I'll tell you mine. Uh, well, I think that we can, it really, again, this, I would probably pick different ones for different populations based on whatever symptoms you may or may not be ha- having. But, um, I think a great one is some sort of cat cow, you know, just to wake up your spine is amazing. I think a rotation of some sort, you know, so supine, so you're on your back, feet flat, knees are bent, rocking the hips from side to side is a great first thing in the morning. Um, you know, that'll help wake up your low back. So we've got cat cow for your low back. We've got supine rotation for your low back you know, getting those hips moving. So some sort of a hip circle is, you know, that's, I feel like it's basically what we're talking about is our reset. It's, I know I, you're, I'm laughing because those are, I actually was asked this in a magazine, like what are three things you do in the morning and, or three things you would recommend. And it's like, you just, I'm just smiling because it's like, I said, get on all fours and cat cow because you just mobilize the spine because you've been, you know, you've been sleeping. And even if, you were in a perfect position, which probably no one is, you haven't been moving. And so you just need to kind of get the the juices going, so to speak, get the fascial moving. And so cat-cow is so great because the spine is such a central part of the body and just feels good. And it hits like your neck and it hits the entire spine. I then said going into a low lunge and doing like the 90-90 so you can get the hip opener and then rolling in the shoulders. You start to mobilize there because when you roll the shoulders, you're not only getting good lubrication in the shoulder joints, but it inevitably comes up into the, the cervical spine as well and a little bit into the rib cage. And then the final one was a twisted crescent, like put your hand down and then rotate. So exactly what you're saying. I, wa- I knew, you know, we, we want to hit the spine, the hips and the shoulders and, 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 and the sh- especially the spine in some kind, but besides the um, flexion and sten- extension that we're doing in cat cow, the rotation. It's going to feel so good. And when you let that neck relax and twisted crescent, it just kind of, huh, often I'll get like some good clicking and just kind of resetting. Cause if we, you know, if we sleep with our neck in some kind of wonky position, just use gravity. And a lot of times it, it the body wants to reset and it can really do that. And it, and it does that. It's best through movement. Um, mm-hmm. I, sometimes I'll wake up with a, with a stiff neck and it, and it may take a couple of days, but I yeah. find if I get on my mat, I move, I, I'm, I move into those restricted ranges purposefully, intentionally within, if not one day, within a couple of days, I'm like, oh, oh yeah, my neck used to hurt. I've completely, because it's just, your body wants to heal itself. It does. It really does. And movement is, and, and then you're using the beautiful force of gravity that can really help. So you don't have to put any excessive amount of like popping around. You can just use gravity and, and the body does want to return to a more uh, balanced state for sure. Okay. Oh, one, two, four, Mo ask, what's the turn your elbows toward cue, toward forward cue in down dog? Have we answered that before? No, I don't think we have. I don't think we have. I think that's a super common cue. I don't give that cue. Well, I don't either. But I know. Yeah. yeah uh, because again, when a lot of times when you, so if you have your hands in down dog and then you push those elbows forward, a lot of times you're encouraging that, you know, you can encourage a bit of locking out of the arms. Mm-hmm. A better place is to, is to, 
I think what they're trying to get is shoulder external rotation and a little bit of that kind of sap, scapular set. So why not just cue it there? You know, so I will in a down dog, you know, maybe that cue of wrapping the shoulders around it brings the eye and the brain up to the scapula because we we do want to see that. We want to see that broadening across the upper back. We want to see the set into the shoulder blade. We want to see that you're not rolling in you know, into that internal rotation that you have more of a neutral, to be fair, but a humeral joint where it's centrated. So I, I think that's an easy visual for the teacher, but it's not a great cue, I don't think, for the student because you end up cueing more in the, in the forearm to do that when I feel like if we cue up proximal, it's going to radiate down. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I really never liked that cue. And I think I don't want to say it can do damage, but I think it could be damaging, quite frankly, because it does set you into more of a passive extended elbow joint where we want our elbow straight. We absolutely want it straight. We want it feeling, we want those upper arm bones, you know, um, supported by the triceps and the biceps kind of coactively hugging them. And, and I, yeah, it's like they're looking at the, you're cueing at the wrong area. You want to cue proximally, which is the more stable and effective way to cue, which is like you said, at the shoulder. So yeah, I would not worry about what the elbows are doing. And everybody's a little different too. Some people can really swing their forearm, can pivot on the, the lower. The other thing is the two bones in your lower arm swivel around each other to a degree. So that's essentially what you're doing is you're kind of almost swiveling that. And the reason why I can, I have found that people that have done that cue for years will complain about elbow joint pain is because they've swiveled off of that natural weight bearing energy exchange from, you know, your, your wrist joint through the forearm bone on, on the radial side to the humeral, to the ulna side, up into the humerus. And when you swivel it to get that elbow pointing in, you're kind of rolling more to the pinky side. And that is a really no-go for weight-bearing. So I again, it's just a cue. I'm sure it was meant to be helpful, yeah, because it was just obvious for teachers. They're like, oh, if you do that, then it really helps the shoulders stay broad. But you want the shoulders to be staying open and broad by working them, not by swiveling that more malleable lower arm bone, arm bones. Okay, this final one, we got a question like this last week, which is really lovely. Anastasia Memja asks, aside from movement, how do you do self-care? How do you keep your cup full and be able to share? Um, You know, that's a great great question. And sometimes you have to schedule out time for you. I have to schedule out time for myself. Uh, I love to read. So for me, I do a lot of reading. Um, I don't watch as much TV, but every now and then I like to pop on a good, even if I've seen it a million times, a good romantic comedy and just lose myself, you know, in, and the same thing with reading, you're sort of losing yourself in another realm or, or world. So, you know, that is my personal thing. I also love to do some sort of physical activity, which would be, I mean, it could be another going for a walk with my dog. So it's getting off my mat, taking a run, or it could be something like needlepoint or crochet or, you know, a, a, something on that arts and crafts side. So variety is the spice of life. And um, if I need a break, sometimes it is disconnecting. Actually, most of the times it's disconnecting from social media, from the real world and going into my own little 
either created world by a book or movie or creative world with my hands. Yeah. You're a Renaissance woman. Uh, for me, I'm, I'm a similar, I mean, I feel for the most part, very, very balanced and filled up. And a lot of that is because I'm doing, you know, I'm, I'm really, I found my purpose and my passion and there's a crossover in a lot of ways, you know, in, in what I'm doing is, is filling me up and it's, giving energy to others and then I get energy back. So there's just such a beautiful exchange there. I think when you are doing or working in your purpose, living your purpose, I I I think that naturally happens. Doesn't mean that like you, I don't need to do other things. I I do, but I have a hard time sometimes (laughs) doing other things. Um, I mean, every day I try and go outside. That's like, you know, if it's, unless it's just horrible weather, I love to be in nature. It just reminds me of kind of how small I am in the big picture, which is very humbling. I think that's important to, I just have such, such a connection with universe and my dad and uh, everything. Being with my animals is huge. Being with my children, being with my husband and yeah, reading. Um, I really, I can tell when I haven't like sat down with a book that is not about movement <laughs> or science, you know, that isn't because I love, like I could seriously read about science and, you know, nonfiction stuff, which is amazing. But I, it is really nice to have like some, I don't want to say that's not levity, but that really requires a lot of brain cells too. Sometimes it's just great to read good writing in, in, in the form of um, fiction and yeah, just making sure I'm doing all those things. And I, I like being creative. I feel like I'm so creative with my movement, but I also like being creative. I'm not handy like you are KB. Wow. Um, my husband's like you, but I am creative in the kitchen. So I love doing that. And I, and I don't get to do it as much. Um, but when I do, I really enjoy it. Um, and it, it means a lot. Like I take the time and like, it's going to be like a three hour thing. You know, I'm going to really make something big and fun and delicious. And there's something really joyful about that. So yeah, I think, um, yeah, I was, I agree with you so much. Like when you find, I found myself doing far fewer of my crafty things. I still read every single night, but, and that's simply because through lit, through both the teacher training and the teaching and the creation, I am more fulfilled because I feel like I am doing my purpose and I do feel more balanced because I'm not doing the same thing all the time. It's always changing. And um, yeah. I've been kind of like, wow, I'm really not doing my other things as much. And it, by you saying that, kind of like a light bulb went off. Oh, well, no wonder, you know, because you're, I'm getting that fulfillment through my, my, my work now because uh, there is such joy in helping people and then getting that feedback, you know, that, that energy back from them. Oh, yeah. It, it's such a, it really is such a blessing to find your purpose. And it's sounds so hokey and woo-woo, but I think we all know it. And I think it's that A, you can be working really hard, but it doesn't feel like it. It feels like it's constantly refueling you. So if you're doing something in life where you feel drained and you just have to like leave it and do something else to renew you, um, just take note of that. There might not be anything you can do about it. Um, It might be that that's just the way it is. But I do think I've seen this in many cases when people are really doing what they are really put on this earth to do. I believe they found that it's, it seems like there's boundless energy. And I think that is because you're just in, you're in sync. 
you're in, you're vibing at the highest thing. You know what I mean? You're totally balanced. And I know like with Mark, he's like you, like when he, he loves his work, but he has to be doing something creative too, because it's not creative per se. And so he's really filled by doing the creative side because he is so creative. I feel like if he had a job that had a lot of creativity in it, he wouldn't need that as much. And I think that's what you're, you know, kind of mentioning here is that now that you're doing this, there is some, we're always creating, you know, it's, it's like when you're in a, a world of, of developing something and adding on to it, it's like, it, it's, it's so much creation. And I love how we're always coming up with ideas for things. And it's just so fun. It's like super vibing. Yeah. yeah. We're always helping people too. Like I love all the DMS I get and people asking me questions and I'm helping them, sending them, they, you know, I enjoy that. That, that fills me up. So yeah. keep them coming. You know? Yeah. By the way, people, uh, I'm the same way. Like just what KB said, we both, we love hearing from you. It just fills our hearts and know that you're always so grateful, but we get so much in return. That's what allows, you know, me to put out content, you to put out content. Wanting to share this is because of how it makes us feel. And especially when we hear it from you. So don't shy away right away. <laughs> Thank you, my darling. I love you. And I love you too. You're welcome. This is so fun to do. So thanks for your questions. We love them all, both physical and, you know, personal. So keep them coming. You can always write me at Lara at LitYoga.com. You can check out both of us on Instagram. You can DM Kristen there at Katie Williams on her Instagram page. Thank you. Thank you all. And as always, we're pulling for you. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.